0: today. Welcome to a special edition of the Talking Mets Podcast, a throwback Thursday edition of the show. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Hope everybody's doing well, and as promised during the month of January... I'm going to be doing some Throwback Thursday interviews with some former players or some archives that may not be Talking Mets podcasts, but are from the archive of the various outlets that I've worked over the past 13 years. And I thought it'd be fun during some of this baseball downtime to do this uh, on a Thursday and call it the Throwback Thursday edition of the podcast. So who am I kicking off with today? Uh, An April 2007 interview, it was the first month ever that I was doing uh, shows on 1240 AM WGBB out on Long Island in uh, West Babylon in their old studio over there. I believe they're in Merrick now. And the first ever, and this was a New York baseball show, it was a New York baseball talk on 1240 AM WGBB. The first ever player that I interviewed, ever was Gary Carter, the late Gary Carter, Hall of Fame catcher. And I'm going to tell you a couple of quick things before I get to the interview. I don't want to make this long. First, I had set up the interview, I think a week or two prior, and I was shocked. I'd reached out to the Gary Carter Foundation, his foundation uh, at the time, and I sent an email and someone got back and said, yeah, Gary would love to do it. Here's the time. He's going to call in. What's the number? Sent the number in. That was it. Never heard from anybody else. And I'm going into the show on that Sunday night, and basically I'm saying, I hope he calls in because <laughs> I promoted it. Now, I don't know how many people were listening live that night, and I didn't have much of an audience. I was basically working with a company called uh, that's now defunct called Free the Fan, and they were putting me on uh, their application, which was uh, some new technology at that time when video cam was coming out and, and a bunch of social media type of Applications. I mean, this is probably right around when Facebook was still very uh, young. I mean, probably not many people were on Facebook at the time. So uh, that's all my outlet was. And I'd go into a bunch of Mets and Yankees forums because it was a New York baseball show and promote whatever I was doing, get kicked out of some and things like that. So I'm hoping that I don't get embarrassed here. Sure enough, uh, right before the show kicks off, a couple of minutes before the show kicks off, Phone rings. It's Gary Carter. The t- the call screener says. I'm like, all right, cue it up, cue it up, and and basically I, I do a quick intro after the you know the, the the music plays, and and then Gary's on the air. Uh, so I remember that. I remember being very nervous, thinking about how surreal it is that here I am trying to jump into this whole radio thing. I'm a I'm a guy that has a, a totally different career. I did this because I always had a passion for radio. I always. Wanted to do my own show. Thought I was good. And uh, here I am interviewing somebody that I could just think of watching on TV just yesterday. So it was very surreal for me. Uh, you'll hear during the interview Gary talk about his uh, debut with the Montreal Expos. What was really interesting is that he talked about managing in the Mets system. Why he left managing in the Mets system uh prospects you'll hear brought up in this interview. You're going to get some blasts from the past. Guys that I call, you know, exciting young prospects. You're going to laugh when you hear some of the names. And uh, he goes into the at-bat in Game 6 that started the rally in the Game 6 of the 1986 World Series. And we also talk about his 300th home run and hitting that at Wrigley Field and that whole situation. So I tried to do something different that day. Uh, I kept them on about 25 minutes, and you'll hear and you'll laugh at the end as... I I will never know to this day, and uh, God rest his soul, Gary Carter, whether or not he was actually, his battery was dying on his phone, or he was like, I gotta get off the air, this guy's not letting me go, so uh, I think I let him, I kept him on 25 minutes, I think I I told him it was only gonna be 10 or 15, and uh, when you get a, you never know when you're gonna get an athlete again, I thought that might be the only athlete I'd ever get on, and who knew many, many years later that there'd be many more, and I'd meet them in person, and here I am uh, 13 years later doing the Talking Mets podcast, having spent time on a local ESPN affiliate and 12:40 a.m. WGBB and, and, and done some other podcast and appeared on you know just as recently as a month ago as a guest on 77 WABC where so many luminaries have had political um, talk shows over there. So uh, it's been a wild ride. This is how it started. It wasn't my first show. Adam Rubin, uh, at that time of the Daily News, New York uh, Mets beat reporter, was the first ever guest on my show. Um, But Gary Carter was the first ever athlete, former New York athlete, to appear on my show. And I'm looking forward to having you listen to it. I will tell you this. It's older audio, so it's a little raw. It's very listenable, but it's not perfect. So, you know, when you leave feedback, just know it's not perfect. It's You know, you're going back in an archive. It's an old audio. Uh, at an old radio station with some old technology at the time. And uh, I'm raw. It's my uh, You could tell I'm nervous a little bit. I'm raw. So I'm curious if you guys want to send me some feedback. Mike com. Do you like it? What did you think about Gary? What did you think about me? Am I different now? Do I sound different? I try to be conversational. I try not to be too fake and inauthentic. Um, I know my accent comes through at times. I tr- I've tried to work on that. I think it's come back harder in recent years than it was earlier on, but who knows? Um, So anyway, uh, let's get to the first Throwback Thursday archive interview. Mike Silva, that's me, April 2007, Hall of Famer, Gary Carter.
2: Fastball, high drive into left field, Rice is looking up, she is gone! Home run Carter! Now that's the art of hitting. He says to himself, the pitcher struck me out on a curve. Is he going to come back with the curve? And Nipper thinks he's probably looking curve. I'll give him a fastball. Well, that could be.
1: And he's hit another one.
2: A towering smash. Rice never even moved. Curveball. And that one went over the screen. That landed on Lansdowne Street. So Gary Carter's second home run tonight and the third home run for the Mets.
3: And it is six to nothing New York. Now we're gonna go and uh, we're gonna go to Gary Carter. Um, Gary Carter, as you all know, is the former Met and now uh, a Hall of Famer. Gary was managing the Mets farm system with Port St. Lucie last year also managed the USA uh, to victory in the Futures game. Most importantly, Gary is president of the Gary Carter Foundation, which focuses on bettering the physical, mental, and spiritual well-being of children. Uh, you can visit the foundation at GaryCarter.org. Gary, Mike Silva, NY Baseball Radio, how you doing?
2: I'm doing great, Mike. How are you?
3: Great. Gary, since you were kind enough to come on the show, I'm going to uh-huh. play up a 20-second clip. Let me see if you remember this moment.
2: All right. ball, and this could be the ball game. Deep to left, out of here, Gary Carter, a game-winning home run in the bottom of the tenth inning, and the Mets win on opening day, six to five.
3: Seems like yesterday, Gary, huh?
2: <laughs> well, uh, maybe yesterday to you, but to me now, looking back at it, it's hard to believe that um uh, 22 years ago, 1985. Uh, Time flies by when you're having fun, I guess. But, uh, you know, it was a great memory, a great thrill for me to have had that opportunity of coming to the Mets and uh, to be able to get a walk-off home run. Now that's what they talk about a lot uh, are these walk-off home runs. All I looked at it as being it was a game-ending home run. And uh, it was a thrill, but it was a great way to break into New York.
3: Gary, you decided to step away from managing this year. Uh, Do you miss the ballpark at all?
2: I missed it immensely. I, I stepped away primarily because uh, I wanted to try to still stay close to home. Obviously, anyone that uh, manages uh, would love to have the, uh, the opportunity of staying close to home. And I realize in in Major League Baseball, you're not going to have too much of that opportunity unless I was to be managing the uh, Florida Marlins. But uh, they've had several managers there, and now they have Freddie Gonzalez. But uh, uh, the Mets offered me to go to uh, Binghamton, New York, and uh, I figured that I did what Omar Minaya wanted me to do, and that was get managerial experience. Uh, I felt like I was successful at both levels that, uh, that I managed at. And uh, I just wanted to uh, get the opportunity, uh, obviously, of managing at the major league level. But if it wasn't going to be in a managerial position, it could have been in a coaching uh, position. And uh, I just didn't feel that, uh, you know, the opportunity uh, was, was there. I knew that uh, after the success the Mets had last year, uh, the, the, they were intending upon giving Willie Randolph a, a, an extension, which they did. And so I kind of felt that my future in the organization was not going to be in the immediate future, so I decided to step down. And uh, they did offer it to me. They did offer me to go to AA, but uh, uh, if you've ever been to Binghamton, New York before, <laughs> um, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't say that that's one of the most glamorous places to go to.
3: I hear you, I hear you. Uh, who's Gary Carter as a manager? We've, we know you as a ball player from what, what your time with the Mets and the Expos, but could you tell us a little bit about who Gary Carter the manager is?
2: Well, I'd say I'm pretty similar. I mean, uh, when I was uh, uh, managing in the Gulf Coast League and also uh, this last year at Port St. Lucie, um, the way I would uh, at least coach even third base, I mean, that's the requirement of a manager, uh, I would I would be at third base, uh, uh, basically coaching and playing the game as I would as a player. So I caught myself up in many situations of, of uh, getting runners over, uh, bunting, uh, getting the runners in, in scoring position. Um, you know, I relied on my my pitching coach to pretty much uh, uh, dictate who was. Uh, you know how many innings and how many pitches and so forth and so on, and and I think that's a large part of the importance of uh, having a successful team is to uh, obviously have um, you know a good pitching coach, but uh, you know to be able to monitor uh, your pitchers, and so uh, in the minor leagues they they're mostly on pitch counts and everything, but. Um, I, I pretty much managed the way I played. Um, I, I very much enjoyed the game. I enjoyed uh, you know, being the manager for the, the young kids, and, and I feel like I would be the same way uh, when there was a, a necessity to uh, get on a player. Uh, I would do that, but I also would uh, compliment them as well. Uh, I felt like that was uh, something that I appreciated as a player that uh, if you did wrong, if you did not hustle, then there was a time to be confronted with that. But if you were uh, playing hard and, and you made a great play or you, uh, you know drove in a, a big run or something like that, well, then it, it's necessary to give the compliments out just as much as the criticism. So uh, to me as a, as a manager, which I enjoyed immensely, uh, it, it was just a matter that uh, I loved the game. I managed uh, the way I played, and uh, and we were successful because we won at both levels.
3: You're probably the best one to answer this question. The, the Mets have some exciting young players, and you managed three of them last year: Fernando Martinez, Mike Carp, and Philip UMBER. Briefly, could you tell some of the fans uh, your thoughts on those three?
2: Well, Fernando Martinez is I I feel really a can't miss guy. I mean, he's really got all the tools to be very very successful. He's a left handed hitter. He's a uh, he's raw because he still is extremely young. I think he is only nineteen. Uh, and and the thing about him is is that he's already playing at the double A level and has already proven himself at the low A level and. Uh, He actually did quite well in his brief stint with me at uh, the high A level and was involved in uh, the playoffs. But here's a kid that uh, has come into his own rather quickly. Uh, He was very raw when I saw him, you know, taking fly balls and everything, but I think he's really going to mature into a very fine outfielder because he also has a great arm uh, to go along with, uh, you know, good speed. And I believe truly that he has uh, uh, all the abilities and qualities to be a good one. Uh, Mike Carp, on the other hand, he reminds me a lot of a, like a, a Jim Tomey. He's got that kind of power. Uh, he can hit the ball uh, out opposite field. Um, you know, I think if there's any deficiency, it's that uh, his defense is a bit off. But I think that that will come with experience. And I really believe eventually he'll become a very, very good first baseman. Uh, Philip Humber, on the other hand, he's already had a, a bad break uh, by having uh, uh, Tommy John surgery, which he's coming back from. But here's a guy that uh, I think also has all the, the abilities to be a good one because he's got a good breaking ball, a good fastball. And nowadays, a Tommy John surgery means that uh, most pitchers come back and they're better than they were before. So um, I, I just believe that Phil Humber needs uh, some more experience. Um, you know, he did well for me in and, and, uh, the few games that he threw for me. Uh, I had also uh, 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 Mike Pelfrey, who's now back at the major league level, and uh, another guy, Mike Devaney, who I was very, very impressed with uh, last year and uh, went to A about three-quarters of the season through. And uh, so I think the Mets are, are well-stocked with, uh, with talent. It's just a matter that uh, now they need uh, to just get the opportunity to hopefully uh, get a chance to play someday at the big league level.
3: September 16, 1974, do you remember that day?
2: Oh, absolutely. It was when I was uh, called up to the big leagues.
3: What's one of your vivid memories of that day?
2: Well, first of all, after having a successful year at AAA, I think the biggest thing was is that uh, we were a young ball club, or at least the Expo's organization was, because obviously the first year uh, of uh, its, its inception was in 1969, and here I was just two 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 and a half years in the minor leagues and uh, was already getting the opportunity at the major league level. And at, at just 20 years of age, it uh, was like a dream come true, and... I remember getting my first hit off of John Matlack, and then my second hit was off of Tom Seaver. And the thing that's, that's neat about that is that uh, uh, it was uh, at a time when you're kind of overwhelmed uh, by just being there. You're in awe of the fact that you're facing some pretty quality pitchers in John Matlack and uh, and Tom Seaver. And, and it kind of uh, told me right away that I felt uh, that I was – uh, that, that, that I deserve to be there. Um, you know, by the next year, obviously, I had the opportunity of uh, being the, uh, the regular player. And the other thing about it is is that I played in the outfield. I mean, I caught two and a half years in the minor leagues, and then uh, I get to the big leagues, and, and my first opportunity of playing was in the outfield. So um, I, I was just very uh, glad to have also had that opportunity uh, that Gene Mock gave me that chance. And uh, the, the other part was is that uh, getting acclimated in the outfield and uh, having a very good first year, which I did, where I was uh, uh, Sporting News Rookie of the Year, which was voted on by my, by my peers. So uh, once you get kind of established and you get your feet on the ground, you kind of feel like you belong, um, you know, initially I was more in awe than anything. The next year, in 1976, I I was injured for most of the season, broke a thumb, broke some ribs, uh, uh, broke my hand at the end of the season, missed more than half the season. So I realized that uh, I needed to work that much harder to get prepared for the 77 season. And when that did occur, I realized then that I belonged because I, I really felt like I started to come into my own. And I also got the opportunity of getting back behind the plate Uh, uh, which I was in a uh, uh, kind of a one-on-one competition with Barry Foote in spring training and made the best man win, and it turned out I won the the starting job. And and I just felt more uh, confident and more at ease behind the plate than I certainly did in the outfield. But uh, I'll never forget that September 16th date when I came up. I mean, obviously it was a big thrill just to be in the big leagues and to have a big league uniform on.
3: You know, last year it was a lot about 86 with the 20-year celebration. Um, it never gets old for the fans. Tenth inning, two outs, no one on. You're up. What, what is the state of mind for you getting up there? Uh, you'll hear about how the the players, some have given up. Um, what was going through your mind you're up there?
2: Well, it was uh, indeed back uh, to my childhood when I was in the back alleyway dreaming up situations like uh, – um, uh, you know, I've, I've heard many of the athletes talk about, uh, their dreams as kids. And I just remembered, uh, saying, uh, geez, world series, bottom of the ninth inning, bases loaded and, uh, two out and here I am. And, uh, and that's all I could think about when I came up in that situation, I just figured, you know what, um, I was just looking forward to, uh, Uh, doing something and not making the last out. And I just had a great deal of confidence, and I really didn't feel uh, nervous at all or anything. And I I certainly didn't want to be a trivia question, who made the last out of the 86 World Series. But nevertheless, I just went up there, and I I felt good. I felt confident. And uh, fortunately, I was able to get that hit uh, that started the rally. But I wasn't thinking anything more than just getting up and, uh, and getting on base. That that was my whole thought process, and it just dated back, like I said, as a as a kid growing up thinking, hey, hey here we are, World Series, and I only played in one World Series. I mean, I was on a lot of winning teams, but uh, unfortunately, I only had the opportunity of playing in one World Series, and fortunately, we came back in that game. Uh, we scored those uh, three runs in the bottom of the 10th inning to win that game 6-5, to five, and and in Game Seven, we were down three to nothing after five innings, and we came back and won that game eight to five. So, to me, it was a it was just a thrill to have that chance and that opportunity, and uh, it'll 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 be a great memory for the for the rest of my life, no question.
3: The other moment that stands out for me is I remember August 11, 88, your 300th home run, and right. I still remember, uh, and I think it was Ralph Kiner just saying, it looked like you were relieved because there had been a drought of about 225 at bats. In between right. that what do you remember about that day
2: well i remember uh, another thing it was brought to my attention that david letterman did some sort of a skit and uh, was uh, you know made made a joke out of it obviously but he was saying will somebody please groove one for gary carter so he can end this thing i mean when you're under a microscope and and certainly the press uh, uh were were playing this whole thing out and and i was pressing to get that 300th home run because i it was kind of a, a, elusive for, for a number of reasons because uh, uh, the 300 home runs uh, for a catcher was the standard to, uh, you know, get into the Hall of Fame. I mean, there was only a couple others that had reached that plateau, and, um, and I, I was closing in on it. And the other part of it was is that my knee had been really bothering me, and uh, I, I wasn't able to push off on it. And so I, I really did not have the power that I had in previous years. And so with that being said, I, I realized that, uh, you know, it was going to come eventually. And ironically, it happened at Wrigley Field. And uh, it was off of uh, Al Nipper, who I had hit a home runoff in the World Series uh, the two years previous. So when I did hit it, it was on a breaking ball and uh i think the wind was kind of blowing out a little bit and i got it up in that air and sure enough uh it, it went out and when it did and i'm running around those bases i did feel a great deal of relief uh, it was like uh, a two and a half month drought and uh and and it turns out david letterman did deliver because he gave al nipper a tractor and he gave him a don mattingly broken bat and a glove or whatever it was but uh <laughs> You know, and Al Nipper came up to me uh, sometime uh, in, in the few few days after that, and, and uh, obviously near the end of the season when we played the Cubbies again, and he said, hey, if you ever need another one grooved in there, if I'm going to get a, uh, a tractor, uh, you got it. Because, uh, you know, he was very pleased that uh, David Letterman came through and sent that to him. So, anyway... Um, you know, I just remember it being a a, a relief, but uh, it was a milestone, and it was something, obviously, I was very proud of.
3: On that note, 88 was one of those years where everything seemed to be aligned. The Mets dynasty was going to have its stamp, and just didn't quite happen, ran into Oral Hershiser. But for a long time, the organization, I've, in my opinion, didn't embrace that 80s team, and uh, there was kind of a stigma in the media as it was a disappointment. Um, looking back, do you, do you agree with that, that the team was a disappointment because of some of the things both on the field that happened and, unfortunately, off the field with some players?
2: Well, I, I would agree to a certain degree, but I, I would also have to say that, you know, we had some great, successful teams. In my five years there, we had three seconds, two firsts, and obviously a world championship. Should we have won in 88? Absolutely. I look back at Game 4 in that league championship series where we were up uh, in the game and uh, doc Gooden uh, had just walked uh, I think it was Mike Davis or it might have been John Shelby I'm not sure but anyway uh, the next pitch to Mike Sosha was a, a fastball that he hit out that just uh, grazed over the wall and tied the game up and uh, and then, that from there we went into extra innings and the Dodgers came back. We were up in that series two games to one. That would have just basically put it away at three games to one. But you know, with them tying the game up and going on to win it, they won won that game and uh, it just uh, it w- it was one of those things uh, that that uh, changed the whole complexion of that series. And uh, then they won uh, uh, game uh, game five and uh, we went back to L. A. And we won game six, and then we went to game seven. And, and Oral Hershizer, no question, uh, that was his big year. And I think that that's another reason why uh, we we came close. I mean, it was like we came close in 85 and didn't win and came close in 87 and didn't win. And both times we lost out to uh, the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. In 89, it was the, the Cubs. But basically, we had good seasons. But now with the wild card, uh, I, I, you know, the, the way that, that, that teams are broken down in the divisions and everything, we would have had three more opportunities to play in the playoffs, and it might have meant, uh, you know, all the difference in the world because obviously there's been several wild card teams that have come on and, and won the World Series. So I, I feel that we, we missed our opportunity. I'm not going to say that uh, it was because of the the off-the-field stuff as much as it was that we had some bad breaks and uh, we had some injuries and there was a number of things that uh, kept us from winning, but uh, we also did have very good teams.
3: Right before, I want to get to your foundation. One last baseball question. Gary Carter, Hall of Famer. Do you have to pinch yourself sometimes uh, hearing that?
2: Well, it's it's settled in now. I mean, obviously, it took me six years to get in, and uh, you know, when it first uh, when I was first on the ballot, uh, you start thinking because there, it, it is a big deal to be a first time uh, ballot Hall of Famer, and uh, there's two guys going in this year, uh, the likes of Cal Rifkin Jr. and Tony Gwynn, and there's. Uh, oh, I don't know, somewhere around 30, 35 guys that have been voted in, uh, first ballot guys. And it's really an honor to be recognized that way. And I just remember how uh, uh, the history of the voting went. And uh, the first year I got like 200 votes, and then the next year uh, there were some very good names on the ballot, the likes of George Brett, Nolan Ryan, Robin Young, and Carlton Fisk for the first time. And uh, it was really weird because, uh, you know, I really thought that, uh, you know, I might be in that same category with, uh, with Carlton Fisk at least being recognized that way. Well, turns out I ended up losing votes. Well, then I came back uh, the next year, uh, and, of course, Carlton didn't make it in his first year of eligibility and, and uh, really got angered about it and uh, kind of let it be known to the press and all. Well, they voted him in the next year. And then my vote total went back up. I regained uh, the, lo- uh, the votes that I lost, and, the- and then I basically uh, doubled uh, the-, the amount. And-, and so I got back up into respectability. And then with Carlton Fisk getting in, then they said, well, you know, in comparison to Gary Carter's career was as good, if not better, than Carlton Fisk. And so uh, it turned out that the next year, my vote t- total went back up again, but I still fell short. And then by the fifth year, they said, oh, well, without a doubt, he's deserving to be in there. And I fell 11 votes short. So when, when it actually did finally happen in my sixth year of eligibility, uh, it was a very proud moment. And now to have been already in there uh, for four years, uh, it's it's an honor that uh, uh, I never take for granted I'm, I'm very uh, overwhelmed by it because it is uh, such a tremendous honor uh, it's kind of the uh, the icing on the cake from a career in which that uh, I enjoyed a lot of success in, in a lot of areas uh, a lot of all-star games World Series um, uh, MVPs of all-star games. Uh, Gold gloves, silver bats, all those kind of things, but nothing, uh, nothing is going to top uh, being honored in uh, in Cooperstown as a Hall of Famer. And uh, the other thing is, is uh, as far as my greatest uh, highlight and thrill would have had as a player would have had to have been winning that World Series. But uh, the honor of being uh, recognized as a Hall of Famer is something I'll be able to carry on with uh, for the rest of my life.
3: Gary, you've been very active in your your days after your playing career. Uh, I've been on your website for your foundation, GaryCarter.org. Why don't you uh, educate our audience a little bit about your foundation and the great things you guys do?
2: Well, uh, for one thing, I've always been very charity-minded. I've raised over $8 million for leukemia. I have uh, golf tournaments and fundraisers that uh, enabled me to do that Uh, for leukemia. That's what I lost my mother to. Well, uh, in the year 1999, uh, my uh, financial advisor and I kind of brainstormed, and we thought it would be a good thing to, uh, to get the uh, Gary Carter Foundation started because uh, both of my girls uh, were getting interested in wanting to, uh, uh, to, to be school teachers. And so with the brainstorming, we came up with the idea that we wanted to help out underprivileged schools because we realize the importance of, of getting financial support. So uh, with that being said, um, you know, we, we got going with this, and I help out eight schools, and I'm very proud of that. And uh, I've given away over 250000 and I will continue to help these schools, and it's uh, helped to uh, also better the education of these young kids.
3: How can our listeners help you out?
2: Well, uh, they can uh, pull up my website or they can send in any kind of a donation to uh, the Gary Carter Foundation. Uh, uh, we're located at 560 uh, uh, Village Boulevard, Suite 260, and that's in West Palm Beach, Florida, and the zip code is 33409. And the biggest thing is that is, uh, you can pull up the website, and uh, I've got all kinds of memorabilia that uh, can be purchased there, too. But uh, just uh, to be involved would be a a great asset would be much appreciated.
3: Well, Gary, since you are great friends of the show, we're creating, we're only a month into the show, we're creating a page with archives and uh, information about the show. We're going to, obviously, with your permission, put a link to this charity. It's a really good thing you're doing. And uh, as a thank you for you coming on with us, would that be okay?
2: That would be wonderful, Mike. I would appreciate it. And I know that... uh, My battery is about ready to run out of my cell phone, so I I don't want to lose you, but I do appreciate the time.
3: Thanks a lot. That was Gary Carter, um, GaryCarter.org. Gary, we'll talk to you soon.
2: Okay. Thanks, Mike. Take care.
3: Thanks a lot,
0: Gary. And enjoy the rest of the show. Wow, that brings back a ton of memories for me listening to that. Cringe a little bit because I'm like, I could have done this better. I could have done that better. I could have asked this question. I could have asked that question. But in general, um, I hope you enjoyed it. I did. And uh, I, I, I'm looking forward to doing, you know, two, you know, we're doing what? Today's the 9th. The so I'll do another one next week on the 16th. Another one on the 23rd. And one on the 30th. So that'll be four. We'll do four during the month of January, and then maybe we'll do more down the road. But it's really got to be during times where it's like downtime because the most important thing is talking about the current Mets and the current news, and there's a ton that's going to be going on. So stay tuned. Stay stay tuned for more Talking Mets podcast. Don't worry about it. There's plenty to talk about. We'll be back with another edition on Sunday. Of course, even though uh, it's been a while, I want to thank the late Gary Carter for joining me back there on that April of 2007. I want to thank you guys for listening you can get me all the time at com. You can get me on iTunes, Spotify, pretty much uh, any podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Get me on Twitter, at Mike Silva Media, and you can also email me at Mike Silva at com. Be well. Take care, everybody.